0: going to continue our study in John. The title of my sermon is Discipleship 101. I think this is going to be a very clear, a very basic sermon, a very basic teaching, but it's one that we need to be reminded of as believers. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? What does it mean to make disciples? What are we called to do? What does that entail? Again, that is our job as a church, amen, to make disciples. So the big idea is this. Discipleship begins with hearing the Word. It has to be heard before we can respond to It's true. So discipleship begins with hearing the Word and following the Savior. That is the response. And results in a desire to declare the Savior to others. Okay, so again, discipleship begins with the Word, hearing the Word, and following the the Savior and results in a desire to declare the Savior to others. Now, if someone asked you—it's a hypothetical—but if someone asked you, "Hey, listen, what is the purpose of the church?" What would you say? Maybe a friend, a coworker, a neighbor—they know you go to church. They they watch you across the street. You, you 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 hurry out the door. You're running late, but you're you're dressed up nice, and uh, your kids are in the car you got your coffee mugs and it's every Sunday and maybe your neighbors new to the area and they're wondering like what do you guys do like why why do you do that obviously it's a priority because every week you're you're gathering you're going what's up what's the purpose of the church what would you say to that now i'm sure we'd get all kinds of answers but i'm i'm confident that if members of Celtes were asked that question, this would be the primary answer shared. What's the purpose of the church, you ask? To make disciples of Jesus Christ for the glory of God. To make disciples of Jesus Christ for the glory of God. And hopefully, we would take that person to the Great Commission text in Matthew 28, 18-20, where Jesus says, go and make disciples. Amen? And he's with us. And why do we do it? We do it for his glory. So the church, very simply, is called to make disciples. And that is what our passage is all about. I got saved in middle school. I heard the gospel. I heard from my pops. He sat me down. He shared the bad news that because of sin, we're separated from God, a holy and just God. He explained that to me. We deserve eternal punishment. We deserve hell, but the good news is that Jesus came and He was sent from the Father, fully God, fully man, lived a perfect life, died for sinners, and rose again. And if you trust in Him, Chris, you can be forgiven and have a relationship with God. I remember that. It was February 1995. And by God's grace, I trusted in Jesus. I did. And after becoming a follower of Jesus, I remember having this immense zeal for evangelism. I immediately started a Bible study in middle school, in a classroom during lunchtime. And I began sharing the Gospel boldly, joyfully. I wanted to help others follow Jesus. I wanted to bring others to Jesus. I wanted to make disciples, and I still do. Amen? I still do. So here's the question. What do we learn about discipling in our passage? I want us to look at three things together. Again, I'm going to keep this very simple today. Three things. Number one, hear the word. Hear the word. Verses 35 to 37. The next day again, John, this is John the Baptist, was standing with two of his disciples. I think that was my cue. Was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, and we've heard this, we heard it in verse 29. Behold, behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples. They heard him say this, right? They heard him say this, and what did they do? And they followed Jesus. They heard John's testimony. Behold the Lamb of God, and they what? They followed Jesus. You know, John the Baptist is a model disciple maker. I want us to get that. He is a model disciple maker. He is proclaiming Jesus as the Lamb of God. And as we saw last week in verse 29, as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, this scene is incredible. I hope you were listening as Dave read it. I just read again the first part, at least verses 35 to 37. So John the Baptist is standing with two of his disciples. And all of a sudden, Jesus walks by. The one that John had come to prepare the way for. The one we learned about last week. He's most worthy. Is there anyone more worthy than Jesus? Nobody. And what does John say? When the one that he came to prepare the way for passes by, the one who is most worthy, what does John say? Behold, see, look, the Lamb of God. Now, remember, we talked about what this verb meant last week. It comes from the Greek word. Now, if I had a bag of Skittles, I would throw it to you if you can get the answer right. What's the Greek word? Nobody gets Skittles. Okay, It do. I do. Behold, the Greek verb there, it means to direct one's attention to something, to pay especially close attention. It's used to emphasize something. It's used, the verb behold is used to draw your attention to something. Here's what John the Baptist is saying when he says, I do. behold, look, listen, pay close attention to. Don't miss Him. Don't miss who? Don't miss Jesus. And as we learned last week, the title Lamb of God would have, for the Jewish audience, recalled the sacrificial system, right? The sacrificial system really teaches us two things in the Old Testament. One, God's great generosity. He provided substitutes for His people. Bulls, lambs, and goats. But also the sinfulness of humanity. They needed a substitute, and God gave one, right? Animals were killed in place of God's people. But I think, more likely, the background for this title, Lamb of God, is Exodus chapter 12. And I mentioned that last week. What happens in Exodus 12? It's the Passover. What's significant about the Passover? Well, here we see the climax of or the crescendo of the plagues that God brings upon the Egyptians, right? God's people Israel, they're slaves in Egypt. God sends a series of plagues to reveal His power and to judge Egypt for their idolatry. And the final plague is the death of the firstborn. But God tells Israel, hey, listen. If you take a lamb without blemish and you kill it, and you take the blood, and you put it over the doorpost, what's going to happen? When the destroying angel, when the wrath of God comes, it's going to, what, pass over. It's going to pass over. You're going to be spared. The Lamb was a substitute in place of God's people. So again, what is John saying? Behold the Lamb of God. Behold God's gracious and generous provision. Behold God's salvation. Jesus. He is the one sent to take away the sin of the world and the wrath of God. The new exodus is arriving in him. Again, that theme is going to come up again and again. The old exodus, the first exodus, symbolized God's great rescue of his people. Amen? He rescues them out of slavery, through a series of plagues, miracles, parting of the Red Sea. Isaiah talks about a new exodus to come, a greater deliverance. So again, this language of Lamb of God, it means what? The greater exodus has arrived, and it's arrived in who? It's arrived in Jesus. Now, two of John's disciples are standing by, and they hear, listen, they hear John's pronouncement regarding Jesus. Now, again, why is, the first point is hear the word. Why is hearing the word, God's truth, so important, and what does it reveal? First, why is it important? Why? Why is it important that we hear God's word? Why does that matter? Why is that important? Recall Romans 10, 14. We should all know this. Romans 10, 14. And if you don't know it, it's okay. I'm glad you're going to hear it today for the first time. How then, Paul writes, will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? You can't receive and believe what you don't know, what you haven't heard. It's true. You can't know, you can't believe what you haven't heard. Imagine, who's in school right now? and You can be grad school, middle school, elementary school, home school, public school. Who's in school? A lot of us are in school. We understand school. Imagine, this will be more of a uh, public school scenario. <sighs> Imagine a student being sick. On the day, a massive assignment is given to the class, and this assignment happens to be worth half the total grade of the course whoa that's weighty right man somebody better tell him he's not there to get the news that the assignment's been given and it's worth 50 percent of the total grade for the class well because the student wasn't present when the assignment was given and because no one told him about the assignment the day the assignment is due what happens to said student he gets a what He gets a big fat zero. Why? He wasn't told about the assignment. He didn't hear. We'll come back to that story. Now, can we agree that John the Baptist, his role is unique? Jesus refers to him as a prophet. We're not prophets, by the way. Even though, however, John the Baptist's role was unique, his primary job is the same job given to every Christian. Can we agree with that? Maybe, well, maybe. What is that job? John was simply called to witness about Jesus. That's his job. He was called to declare Jesus. Why? So that sinners might hear the message of truth, God's word, and respond appropriately. Furthermore, and this was the second question I said, I was going to ask. Why do we need to hear the word, one, what does hearing the Word reveal too? So, what does hearing the Word, what does the fact that the Word is being shared reveal? When someone shares the Gospel, what does that reveal? It reveals a commitment to the Lord and His Word. It reveals faithfulness on the part of the believer found declaring it. It reveals an allegiance to Christ and His mission. When the Word is heard, it means that a believer is obeying King Jesus by making his word known. Amen? Isn't that encouraging? When I see, so I was at the Balloon Festival the other day out at Kit McConnico, and there was a church there, a Baptist church, and they had a booth. Anybody go to that a few weeks back? And they were sharing the gospel and giving away free Bibles. And I said, Guys, they're like, whoa, who is this guy? I said, I'm so encouraged by this. I'll take a Bible. Can I pray for you guys? And this sweet high school boy, it's like his turn, right? And they kind of point him to me and, okay, do it. I said, do it, bro. Do it. And he shared the gospel with me. He walked me through the gospel. It was so sweet. And I said, man, that was so good. Hey, you know what? I believe that message, but I'm so encouraged that you guys are out here sharing the good news. You're being obedient to what the Lord calls his people to do. Amen? Oh, it was so sweet. I hugged him. Got my free Bible, and then I, I left. Never to be seen again. <laughs> Here's the application. Who is hearing the gospel from you? Who is hearing the gospel from you? Listen, I love the 1-4-P challenge. I talk about it all the time. What is the 1-4-P challenge? Find one person in your relational world that doesn't know Jesus. And commit to four things. Commit to praying for them. That's the first P. Commit to planning how you're going to engage them. If it's a family across the street that you know is not saved, plan to have them over. Plan to have them over for dinner. Get to know them, right? If it's a coworker, and I'll tell you a story here shortly, if it's a coworker that you know is not a believer, plan to have them join you for coffee one morning. And maybe say, hey, man, um, would you be up for doing a Bible study with me? Just kind of one on one? I can never do that. I promise you, you could. And when I've done that, I would say the majority of the time that person says, Yes, I'll buy the coffee. You just come. So pray for them, plan how you're going to engage them. The third P is practice living out the gospel for them. If you do life with this person, make sure they see you living out your Christianity. Amen? And the way you speak, and the way you act, and the way you spend your time. And then, fourthly, and this is the hardest one, but it has to be done. There's no evangelism without it. Is you got to proclaim, you got to actually share the good news. So, one four P challenge. It's on our website as well. Commit to doing that. Let's go back to our illustration. I said we'd come back. Imagine. Oh, this is where it gets. Uh, this is where it gets tough. The story. It takes a twist, a turn. You ready? Imagine. Imagine knowing that your best friend was in that class, present that day the assignment was given. What? And they didn't tell you. They never told you about the assignment. You would be devastated. You'd be angry, wouldn't you be? I would be. That's important news. This assignment was worth half your grade. And your best friend didn't take the time to share, to tell with you the importance of this assignment. And yet, there is more dire news that needs to be reported and shared. Can you imagine? Can you imagine your friends and family on the final day saying, why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you tell me about Jesus? Why didn't you tell me? Who were you sharing the gospel with? Have your unsaved friends and family members and co-workers and classmates and teammates and neighbors heard the gospel news, the good news about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for sinners from you? Have they heard it from you? That brings us to number two. What is the appropriate response to this message? Number two, you follow the Savior. Amen? You follow the Savior. If you've heard the good news, what do I do? You follow Christ. You trusted Him. And I'll make this point. Faith follows. Faith follows. Amen? You follow the Savior. Verses 37-40. to The two disciples heard Him say this, and they what? And they followed Him. They followed Jesus. I love this. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? (laughs) What are you seeking? Where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day. For it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew. Simon, Peter's brother. All right, so we're told that these disciples of John, upon hearing the message about Jesus, did what? They followed him. And one of these men was Andrew, the brother of Simon Peter. Now, why did Andrew follow Jesus, I wonder? I can tell you why. Why? Why did Andrew follow Jesus? Because he saw that he was worthy. Because he saw that Jesus was worthy. He was declared to be the what? What did John say when Jesus walked by? Behold, the Lamb of God. Why did Andrew follow Jesus? Because he saw that Jesus was worthy. He was declared to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But not just that. I hope you were listening. Not just that. For we learn in verse 41... You keep reading, and we'll get to that in a second. But in verse 41, we learn that Andrew believed something about Jesus. What did he believe? He believed that Jesus was the Messiah, the Christ, the promised king to rescue and rule. The two R's will help you memorize what Christ means. It's the king, the promised king, who will rescue and rule over God's people. Andrew believed that. Here we learn what? faith follows he believed that jesus was the christ and he followed him he followed him he believed the right thing about jesus and he followed after him his faith in jesus as messiah led him to follow after jesus what do we learn about following jesus in our passage This is really what discipleship means. If you were going to define discipleship or what being a disciple is, it is someone who follows Jesus. That's a disciple. It's going where he goes and doing what he says. It's true. Going where he goes and doing what he says. These two disciples, this is so interesting. They leave John. They're they're disciples of John, the Baptist, but they leave John and they follow after Jesus. Following Jesus means that Jesus now takes priority. He takes precedence. Did you catch that? Now, following Jesus, as we learn in our passage, also means spending time with Jesus, time communing and fellowshipping with Jesus. Recall verses 37 and 38. The two disciples heard him and and they followed Jesus. They heard what John the Baptist said about Jesus and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, Here it is, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? We want to be with you. We want to spend time with you. Now, at first glance, their response to Jesus' question appears strange, but don't miss it. They begin by addressing Jesus as what? Did you catch it? They call him Rabbi, which is Aramaic for teacher. This reveals their intention. They now intend to follow Jesus as their teacher. And this title, rabbi, was a title of great honor. So obviously they think very highly of Jesus already. And then they ask, where are you staying? Again, this seems like a strange response to Jesus' question. What are you seeking? Where are you staying? <laughs> what? What are you seeking? Well, where are you staying? But don't miss it. Edward Klink notes, they're not aborting his question. It almost seems like they're aborting his question. What are you seeking? Where are you staying? They're not avoiding his question, but telling him, telling Jesus exactly what they're looking for. They are looking for someone to follow. Where are you staying? We want to be with you. We want to go where you go. They want to go where he is staying because he is now their leader, their teacher. Amen. Now compare this to Mark 10, Mark 10, verse 17, one of my favorite stories in Mark's gospel. It's a sad story. It's the story of the rich young ruler. You know, that man brings a question to Jesus, just like Andrew does in and the other disciple, who's unnamed. The question the rich young ruler brings in Mark 10 is, what must I do to inherit eternal life, good teacher? Jesus talks about the law, and the young man says, well, I, I, I do that, I, I keep the law. Jesus says, one thing you lack, go sell all that you have, give your money to the poor, and then come and follow me. And What happens? He goes away sad because he had great wealth. He wasn't willing to do what? What did Andrew and the unnamed disciple do? They they followed. And the rich young ruler did not. So in both stories, a question is brought to Jesus, but Jesus is followed in only one of the stories. Where are you? Are you willing to give up everything to follow Jesus? Are you willing to give up everything to follow Jesus? Are you willing to put Him first in your life? That's what being a disciple of Jesus is all about. I've shared with you guys that <clears throat> I have a special verse for all my kids that I, I pray over them at night. They know these verses well. Luke's is Mark eight thirty four. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. If you ask Luke what that verse means, he'll tell you. It means put Jesus number one. That's a six year old. But that's it. Put Jesus number one. That is what Jesus demands of us, that He be number one. Amen? And again, as we learned last week, He's worthy. Why follow Him? He's worthy. Why put Him first? He's worthy, worthy of our lives, worthy of taking priority in our lives. That's what we see about Jesus in John chapter 1. I hope you've been hearing it. He's God. That's established in the first two verses. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We saw last week that He's marked by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit remained on Him at His baptism, which identified Him as the long-awaited Messiah. We also saw last week that He's the Son of God. Verse 34. He's worthy. Amen? There's no one more worthy of Jesus. So what should we do? We trust in Him and we follow Him because faith follows. Now in verse 39, we read that the two men, they stayed with Jesus that day. They desired to be with Jesus. To go where He goes. To fellowship with Him. Remember, as we just saw, faith, what? It follows. The two disciples believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Which results in what? They follow Jesus. They desire to be with Him. Because again, faith, what? It follows. If you trust in Jesus, look at me. If you trust in Jesus, it will be seen in you following after Him. Going where He says go. Doing what He says do. My other special verse for Clark John 14, 15, Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. You'll do what I say. Here's the application. What does this look like in practice? Following Jesus, being a disciple. Two things I want to spend time on quickly. First, you spend regular time with the Lord, right? If you're a disciple of Jesus, again, where are you going, Jesus? We want to be with you. They believed he was the Messiah, the King promised which resulted in what? They want to follow him. They want to spend time with him. So, what does discipleship look like? A desire to spend time with the king. And we do that by reading his word and praying daily, regularly. Now, if you need help here, man, I, Chris, I struggle reading the Bible. Guess what? Men, man camp, Ugh. no grunts. Come on, guys. Man camp. October 21st, coming up. It's a few weeks away. Guess what we're going to be talking about? Yes, we eat some wild game. That'll be great. We'll give away books. We're going to be in the Word talking about why read this book. What is it? Why read it? And then how to read it? What is it? Why read it? How to read it? Make sure you come for that, man. Wives, sign up your men. Do it. Don't even tell them. Just drop them off. <laughs> Next, I would say find a Bible reading plan. Brother Aaron, put several in the book nook when you walk in, or actually before you walk in, the stand to the right, you're going to see at the bottom, several Bible reading plans. Get started today. Read Donald Whitney's book. I made sure we have copies of that today. Donald Whitney wrote a book called Praying the Bible. Fantastic. It brings together these two spiritual disciplines that are evidence of followers of Christ. We read the Bible and we pray. So grab a copy of that. But you know, what you, you know what you could do? Ask a mature believer. Go up to a brother or sister who you know prioritizes time with the Lord and say, what do you do? What does that look like? Can I, can I spend time with you? Can I watch you? I've learned so much by just watching fellow believers. Amen? The second thing is this for application. And then our final point. Spend regular time with God's people. Don't neglect gathering with the church. We are called to follow Jesus with with others. All right, last question, last point. What is expected of those who follow Jesus? What are followers of Jesus called to do? Number three, declare the Savior to others. Declare the Savior to others. That's verses 41 and 42. Do you see how every point is based on verses from the passage? Okay? Okay? Verses 41 and 42. Oh, this is so good. Alright, so again, just step back. Andrew, we find, find out, it's one of the two of John's previous disciples and then the unnamed brother. What does Andrew do next? He follows Jesus, spends the day with Jesus, but then, verse 41, he first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ And what does that mean, Christ? The promised king who will rescue and rule over God's people. We'll get it. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas. Which means Peter. Which means? Not wood, but rock. That wasn't very helpful. (laughs) This is fantastic. Did you catch it? Andrew physically brings his brother Peter to Jesus. This is what discipleship results in. It's following Jesus and helping others to follow Jesus. Have you heard the good news? Have you? Have you heard the good news? Have you responded appropriately by trusting in Jesus and following Him? Are you then bringing others to Jesus? Are you declaring the Savior to the lost. There's a really sweet pattern of evangelism here that I want us to catch. There's a pattern of disciple-making here that we need to all get. Follow me here. You ready? I don't think you're ready. I'm ready. I'm, I'm just going to share it. Andrew declares Jesus to be the what? Peter, guess what? I guess Simon. Simon! Simon! Guess what? We found the Messiah. We found him. So Andrew declares Jesus to be the Messiah, the promised king to rescue and... OK, rule over. come on, friends, to rescue and rule over God's people. Next, Andrew brings Peter to Jesus. This is evangelism. Here it is, if you're going to take notes. It's declaring the right things about Jesus as we bring people to Jesus. Okay, That is evangelism. It is declaring the right things about Jesus as we bring people to Jesus. What does this look like today? What does this look like today? How do we bring people to Jesus? We bring them to the Word. We bring them to this. We bring them to the Word and then we teach them the right things about Jesus. The right things about Jesus are found where? Remember last week we talked about what it matters what we believe about Jesus, propositional truth, right? Doctrine. Where do we go to find those right things? Does it matter what we believe about Jesus? Of course it does. Where do we go to find the right things about Jesus? The Word. So evangelism is bringing people here and teaching them the right things about Jesus. You know, this book will also teach them the right things about themselves. It will address, diagnose their sinful hearts and point them to their need for the Savior, Jesus. We show them in the Word His matchless worth. That is what Andrew does. He tells his brother, we found the Messiah, the Christ, the promised King to rescue and rule over God's people. Andrew beheld Jesus. He saw his matchless worth. He followed him, and then he called others to what? Did you catch it? He heard the word. He beheld the matchless worth of Jesus, trusted in Jesus, followed Jesus, and then declared others to follow him. Now, this is cool. I didn't know this before my study. Did you know? Every time Andrew is mentioned in the Gospel of John, he's found either bringing someone to Jesus or referring someone to Jesus. Isn't that interesting? What a great example. Every time. Oh, surely that's hyperbole. You're exaggerating. Nine out of ten. No, every time. Every time Andrew's mentioned he's either bringing someone to Jesus or referring someone to Jesus. Bless you. John 6, 8. John 12, 22. Isn't that remarkable? That's what a saving encounter with Jesus Results in, namely, a desire to bring others to him. All right. I have a friend in Washington. His name is Zane. He's a brilliant businessman. He owns, if you're ever in Arlington, Washington, this will change your life. Who likes hamburgers? It's the best. It's the best burger I've ever had. It's called Nutty's Junkyard Grill. What a name. I mean, who wants to eat in a junkyard? It's not literally a junkyard. But when you walk in, they have old cars, old trucker hats. It's a really beautiful place, old signs. That was our hangout place. I discipled men there. I took my family there. It's a great family establishment, closed on Sundays. But him and his brother, not believers. And so one Saturday, I said, Zane, I want to hang out, man. Let me grab you breakfast this week. If you're ever in Arlington, Washington, not only would you want to go to Nutty's Junkyard Grill, but for breakfast, you would go to the Stilly Diner. Amazing. So I said, hey, let's meet at the Stilly Diner. We grabbed breakfast, and I took that breakfast hour to walk Zane through the gospel. I had my Bible, and I brought him to the Word to show him what Jesus is like. And he was interested. And I said, hey, man, what are you doing next week? Let's do it again. And that turned into like four or five months. We worked through Mark. We worked through Ephesians. Why? Why? I wanted Zane to see Jesus in the, in the word, to behold him, to behold him, and to see his matchless worth, and to follow him. Who embodies this model of discipleship in our passage? J.B. Who's that? John the Baptist. John the Baptist. He heard the word. He followed Jesus. And he declared Jesus to others. John, John the Baptist, was calling his disciples to do what? Again, Andrew and the unnamed brother were disciples of John. The next day, Jesus walks by and what does John the Baptist do? Look Feast your eyes on the Lamb of God. Behold the One who is most worthy. He was saying, not me, but Him. Not me, but Him. This was John 3.30 in action. What is John 3.30? J.B. says, He must increase, I must decrease. John the Baptist lived to point others to Christ. That was his M.O., Is it yours? You know, Mark Dever has written a really helpful book called Discipling. But he defines discipling as this, helping others to follow Jesus. Are you doing that? How are you getting on with that right now? How are you getting on with helping others follow Jesus? Where are you today? Well, let's start with this question. Have you heard the word? First, have you heard the word, the good news? The bad news is we're sinners, We've all sinned, every single one of us. That is our great common denominator. We've all sinned against the holy God. And because of that, we deserve hell forever. Oh, Chris, really? Yes. Listen, Jonathan Edwards said it best. He said, sin against an eternal God deserves eternal punishment. And I would say amen to that. That was J. Ed, not me. Jonathan Edwards We've all sinned. The good news is this. Christ came. He came in love. And He laid His life down for sinners like us. He lived a perfect life. We owe God a debt we cannot pay. We owe Him a perfect life because He's a perfect God. He's holy. We're not. How can we be in His presence? Jesus came and He lived for us. He lived the life we couldn't live. He perfectly obeyed God's law. And then He died for us on the cross, taking the punishment we deserve. Have you heard that word? And guess what? Three days later, he was raised, which means that what he did on the cross worked. Have you heard that word? If so, how have you responded? Have you trusted in Jesus as Savior and Lord, and are you following him as Lord? Next, if you've trusted in Jesus, amen, and you're following Jesus as Lord and King, then what should you be doing? What should you be doing? helping others follow him. You know, this is helpful, okay? I've done this for years now. Something helpful here is to talk about and pray about those you're sharing the gospel with with fellow believers. In your home group, take time to pray for those you're evangelizing. If you're in a one-on-one Bible study, talk about, hey man, I'm, I'm trying to share the gospel with Jenny at work. She's lost. She's broken. She needs Jesus. I'm praying for her and I'm, I'm praying for boldness. Man, John, we work construction together. He is a wild man. He is so lost. But you know what? He's a good dad and he pays his taxes and he thinks, I don't need God, I'm good. He doesn't know he needs Jesus. Will you pray for me as I tomorrow's today? We're having lunch. I, I told him I wanted to have a, a conversation with him. He's been asking questions. So what I'm saying is, talk about these people. No, not gossipy. But say, hey, listen, I'm, you don't have to say their name, but I'm, I'm sharing the gospel with a coworker or a classmate. Pray for me. And when you gather at home group or in a one-on-one Bible study, ask that person, hey, how's that going? I've been praying for so-and-so. I've been praying for the Lord to give you opportunity and boldness, the right words. And then, by God's grace, if and when they receive the good news, man, celebrate that with your life group. Celebrate that with your Christian friend. And I promise you, watch. It will motivate and inspire others to join in that work of evangelism. Amen? I want to highlight one more thing in our passage. And it's found in our final verse. Oh, man. Are you ready for this? You're like, I don't know what it is. Verse 42. He brought him to Jesus. Right? Who brought who? Andrew brought his brother to Jesus, Simon. And Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John you shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. I don't know about you, but if someone said, hey, you're Chris, son of Bill, but now I'm going to call you Terrence. <laughs> what? That ain't my name? Call me Terrence. That's strange, right? I mean, what's Jesus up to here? Jesus changes Simon's name to Peter. This was prophetic. Listen, this was prophetic. This was Jesus' way of saying, You're not like this now, Peter. You're not a rock. That's what Peter means, rock. You're not a rock. <laughs> but my intention is to make you this in the future as a result of my saving work and the giving of the Spirit, and my plan will not be thwarted. Oh! Those who trust in Jesus now. And follow him now, get a new name. Amen? You get a new name, you get a new identity. Those Jesus calls to himself, he transforms. Discipleship following Jesus results in a new identity. Rest in that new identity. And live out of that new identity. Because in Christ, and through his power, you can. You know, D.A. Carson, I love me some D.A. Carson. He writes, Jesus So calls them that he makes them what he calls them to be. Jesus so calls them that he makes them what he calls them to be. Recall 2 Corinthians 5.17. Paul says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, what? Kynaketesis. He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. I love Galatians 2.20. Paul writes, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Again, discipleship involves a new identity. No longer enemies, but sons and daughters of the King. Remember what we learned earlier in John's Gospel, in John 1.12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become what? Children of God. If you believed in Jesus, guess what you are now? Not an enemy of God, but a child of God. Let's review. Discipleship involves hearing the good news about Jesus, trusting in and following Jesus, and then declaring Jesus to others so that more and more people can follow Jesus. Hear, follow, and declare. That is it. Hear, follow, and declare. Hear, follow, and declare. I hope you got that. Why? 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 You'd be right in saying, because the king said so? Yes. That's a great answer. But why? Why? Why do this? Let me end here. More. Get this. More followers of Jesus means more worshipers of Jesus, which means more glory, praise, and honor to Jesus. Get it? Why make disciples? Why help others follow Jesus? Because more followers of Jesus means more worshipers of Jesus, which means more glory, honor, and praise given to Jesus. We make disciples for the glory of King Jesus. Again, He is what? He is he's worthy. Behold the King and believe. And if you believe, follow the King because faith follows. And if you follow the King, help others To follow the king by bringing them to who? Bring them to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for your word, this word, this reminder of discipleship, making disciples the importance of this work. Father, I think if we we were to summarize your word, we might say something like this, that you are from Genesis to Revelation a God of mission. A God who relentlessly pursues a people for salvation and relationship with you and for your glory. I'm so thankful that for those you save, those you call out of darkness into light, you call us to be a part of that mission. To go and make disciples. Father, help us to put away our fears. To put away our worries. To not fear man. But if we say we're followers of Jesus, I pray that we would be committed as a church body to this mission of helping others follow Jesus by declaring to them the matchless worth of Jesus. He is the Lamb of God. He is the Son of God. Father, give us opportunity this week to tell people the good news of Jesus and to call many to leave their sin and follow Jesus because He's worthy. Grow your church for your glory through the Great Commission. And all God's people said, in the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Amen.